Hey, this is Brent Jensen, and you're listening to No Sleep Till Sudbury, the show where we talk about the music that makes your skin vibrate. And today, we are joined by a very close friend of mine who grew up in Charlottetown, PEI. He got to start in radio playing Helen Reddy records at 3 a.m. on a local radio station. He went on to host a wildly popular radio show on New York City's WNEW in the late 80s called Metal Shop, where he hung out with some of the biggest names in hard rock and metal at that time. And as you can imagine, he's got some pretty crazy stories from those days, some of which we may hear today on the show. In addition to doing television appearances and voiceover work, he's currently an on-air personality at Q104.3 in New York City. He is my pally from the Valley, Mr. Ian O'Malley. How are you, brother? Jesus, that's quite the intro, man. <laughs> Holy shit. I was, I, was, I was waiting for the great humanitarian part of it, but I guess we can always I save s- that for another Sorry, I forgot, I forgot that part. No, it's, it's, it's a pleasure to be here. You know, And I'm wondering how many people outside of Canada or the East Coast of the United States even know of Charlottetown PEI, which is, you know, Prince Edward Island, and, you know, really how small it is. I mean, it's a, it's a lovely part of the world with, with fabulous people, but it's, uh, it's small. Yeah. Good to be here, so thanks very much for having me. You're welcome. It's a pleasure to have you. So should we... Uh, do you want to get started talking about how we met? <laughs> That's actually, it's, it's one of the more, it's, it's certainly one of the more interesting uh, ways. I, I, I've had a number of kind of wacky occasions how I met some of my best mates and yourself included. And I walked into the studio um, over a weekend for my regular, you know, rock radio show. I mean, I've, I've been on the air in New York for, gosh, going into my 28th, 29th year now. It's been, it's been a while. Wow. And, you know, we have, we have books and all sorts of stuff. You know, when, one of the nice things about working in New York City radio, which is pretty much the biggest radio market on the planet, they're always sending you stuff, you know, when you walk in and there's like food or gifts or books (laughs) or movies and all sorts of shit laying about the place saying, help yourself. And I looked in the back of the studio and I noticed this book and uh, it was called no sleep till Sudbury. And generally I'll take a look at a book or two, but you know, to be honest, the 90% of the time I'm not paying attention. I'm just getting ready to go out of here. Yeah. And I said, Sudbury, like the only Sudbury I know, which I've never been to, uh, is in Ontario, Canada. And, uh, so I was just interested and I, and I picked it up. And, uh, and I started leafing through, and I said, oh, hold on a second. This is all about heavy metal. Uh, and this is obviously written by a Canadian guy. So, I mean, those two things alone um, really piqued my interest. And uh, I guess you would send it to Eddie Trunk, if I'm not incorrect. That's right, yeah. Correct? Yeah. Yeah, you send it to Eddie Trunk. Now, Eddie Trunk does what I did for quite a number of years, as you mentioned in your very kind intro. Um, you know, He does Eddie Trunk Rocks, which is very, very similar to what I was hosting forever called Metal Shop. Yeah. Uh, you know, back in the height of metal, where it wasn't, I, I would never say dated, but I mean, it was obviously that was the preeminent rock at that time was was, was heavy metal. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I swiped the book. I, I read it in very <laughs> short order. And and hey, look, I'm not just saying this, you know, to blow to blow wind up your skirt, but it was absolutely without question the best hard rock heavy metal book I'd ever read. That's, I mean, thank uh, you very much, man. No, it was it was a it was a terrific read. And you know, man, people have always said, you know, that you know Eddie knows a lot about heavy metal, which he does. Uh, they they certainly said before that time when I was you know the kind of pinnacle metal guy, that well, God, nobody knows more about metal than Ian does. I read this book and I said, well, hold on a second, folks. <laughs> <laughs> There's some dude in Canada. <laughs> that was way more about metal than we do because <laughs> it was fascinating to me reading this book and going, Oh shit, you know, oh, that band. Oh yeah. Oh God, the rods, they were great. Many of them I'd, I'd kind of forgotten about. Yeah. Um, so I, I love the book. And then I, that's when I sent you the email. Um, yes. And I entitled it reliving my youth. And uh, you, I guess you should kind of take over from here. I think I just come back from a, a week long trip away. I think we we're in Aruba and I got back. It was like two in the morning and I was going through my email. I'd been off the grid for a week and uh, 
I was going through and I saw that I had some spam and I looked through the spam and uh, I saw Ian O'Malley reliving my youth. And I thought, you know, is this is probably, you know, a penis enlargement spam <laughs> or something like that. So it was two in the morning and I thought I'm going to humor myself and just open this thing. Well, immediately opened it. <laughs> so, but, you know, the funny thing is like my finger, right. my finger hovered over the delete button when I looked at that and I thought, you know what? I opened it. And so there's four paragraphs from, you know, this guy, Ian O'Malley, and I'm reading through them and I'm and, and he was a guy who read my, my book. And I thought, wow, like this is a f-. and I instantly sent something to you right away saying, you know, thank you so much for the kind email. I'm so glad that you connected with the book. And uh, you and I went back and forth that weekend. That was a Friday night. I think I think by Sunday, you know, people were saying that we were having a bromance because we were going back and forth so much. But we just instantly connected and um, you were gonna be in Toronto. Um, cause you live in Connecticut and, uh, you said, uh, let's have a beer. And I said, absolutely. Why don't you come to the house? And you, <laughs> that, that was an experience. <laughs> that night I mean, was, uh, I don't know if we I should mean, get into that. <laughs> I have to admit, I was laughing hard. I remember you saying to me like, oh, Jesus, I'm, I'm, I'm horrified. I'm so embarrassed. And like, are you shitting me? Yeah. This makes a great story, you know, that we could talk about for years to come. Yeah. That was pretty funny. You know, so, and then, you know, with, with the whole, with the, with the whole Donald Trump thing. And I mean, it's something that we would have to get to, I suppose, at a, at a future episode, but it, I thought it was a wildly entertaining night. And obviously we've had a number of adventures, uh, on super yachts and mansions in Florida and all yes. sorts of crazy, crazy stuff since then. Absolutely. Uh, so it's, it's been a wild ride and I was, I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled. I sent that email and, and I've, you know, obviously I loved, uh, no sleep till Sudbury and, uh, and, and the two books since. So, uh, uh, I'm, I'm very excited to be here and, and, and good for you. That's really what I could say more than anything. Thanks, man. I really appreciate that. I'm, I, it's a, it's a privilege and an honor to call you a buddy. So listen, uh, you have sent me a list and I think that this list is representative of, I would say the time spent, uh, around the metal shop era on uh, WNEW. So if we wanted this, so let's go through, mm-hmm. I've got I think it's nine songs here. So the first one is Kickstart My Heart by Motley Crue, and I suspect that there's a very good story behind this one. Well, you know, I mean, I, I think a lot of people know the story, why, why the song was written. Yeah. Just, just, for, just for the few folks that might not, you know, uh, you know Nicky OD'd, uh, and they had to uh, give him just an, an elephant-sized amount of adrenaline to bring him back from the dead. I mean, I think he, he was clinically he was clinically dead. Yeah. Back of the ambulance, I remember him saying for I think a couple of minutes. I'm really surprised he didn't get brain damage. Uh, maybe so much of his brain was already damaged. There was just nothing to damage him. That's why he lived. Um, but, I mean, he really he came very very close on a number of occasions. He came very close to death at that time, especially. And that's how "Kickstart My Heart" came about. You know, that that song in, in particular, I, I don't know if it uh, if the tune itself has any real meaning to me personally, besides being really one of my favorite hard rock metal songs. I, I always thought that the crew wrote really good. Um, I don't want to say pop metal songs. I, I would prefer to say hooky metal songs. Because when I think yeah. of pop metal, I think more, I think more of Poison and that sort of stuff. And yeah, Poison has written plenty of good music, you know, for their genre of of hard rock. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, I think Nikki's always been a very, very underrated songwriter. And there's just, you know, there's there's something about Kickstart My Heart. If you're in a car, I mean, you immediately want to break the speed limit. It'll always get a party going. You know, it's, it's the kind of hard rock and metal that, that I, I want to say chicks, but it's, you know, women. 
generally really like and kind of bop their head to too. You know, and, and it, it's a heavy song. You yeah. know, it, it's a very heavy song. But you know, when when I when I think of Crew, um, you know, I, I've spent a fair amount of time with the members of Motley Crew um, yeah. in in different circumstances. It, and it, the, the interesting, you know, people would say to me, you know, what's it like, you know, being on tour with Motley Crew or spending time backstage with Motley Crew? Um, you know, compared to a lot of other bands during the day, like a Def Leppard or something, um, or a Bon Jovi or a Skid Row. And the, the, the thing that the, the word that generally comes to mind to me uh, back in those days, uh, you know, Nikki's been sober for quite some time now, but uh, was dark. It was um, a lot of partying, a lot of cocaine, a lot of booze. Uh, even the groupies were really hot, yeah. but they all were like dressed head to toe in black with heavy, heavy eyeliner. I mean, you know, this is like Rick James. These are, you know, these aren't the kind of girls you bring home to mama. Um, you know, whereas, <laughs> you know, Def Leppard and Bon Jovi, and even to an extent, Guns N' Roses would have these, you know, incredibly hot chicks yeah. that, you know, kind of look like the girl next door that probably changed her clothes after she left the house to go to this concert. <laughs> right. But crew was much more darker. Everybody was still having fun, but everybody was really high, really drunk, but and, and still having an outrageously good time. But it was just. You, you couldn't even consider trying to keep up with them partying, and, and especially Tommy and especially Nicky. I mean, Vince was drunk most of the time, but very, very entertaining guys. I mean, and Nicky is an incredibly bright guy. Yeah. Uh, Tommy, I, I've always considered a puppy. I mean, that's literally what he was. He was like a puppy that you just kind of let loose. It was a ton of fun. I mean, if you, you wanted to go party and hit the strip clubs and that sort of shit, you know, Tommy was your boy. He was always the ringleader. Yeah. You know, Nikki, it all depended on what tour you were speaking of, uh, you know, Girls, 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 or, you know, Dr. Feelgood, you know, when he was really starting to get in, uh, really have issues with heroin and so on, I uh, was probably a lot more interested in, you know, maybe a chick or two and then and then just, you know, going back to his hotel room and getting fucked up. Yeah. Um, but I, I remember one time, you know, I was, I was interviewing Nikki, and this is when I was a VJ. And um, it was live television. You know, a lot of the stuff that I did at VH1 here in the States was was taped. The majority of it was. So, you know, if something didn't go right, you just stop taping and then you would start again on the set. Yeah. But this was during a live show. And uh, Nikki, and it was during, uh, this wasn't a VH1, it was a previous VJ job that I had. And, and and Nikki was obviously had a rough time of it from the night before and he was sniffling a lot because he was, you know, he was doing a lot of blood. <laughs> and so I'm I'm on the air going, oh man, I hope this guy can keep it together. You know, and I'd, I'd met him at that point. And, and I swear to God, so we're talking and he's sniffling and you can tell he's about to sneeze and he sneezes and he's got a Kleenex. And he looks down at the Kleenex after he sneezes. And then he looks at me and he goes, well, there goes 50 bucks. Oh. And I just went, oh, <laughs> Jesus, you know, where is this going? Um, but I said, you know, always a, a, a bright guy and a fun interview. I mean, you know, we, we could spend the better part of a, of a podcast on, on various crew stories, especially with Tommy. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I think Kickstart My Heart, I, mean, I, I could think of some of the earlier material that I really liked that was a little bit more pure and raw and kind of punky and glammy. Yeah. But for I, I think for, you know, a lot of people might say Dr. Feelgood is the quintessential crew song or looks the kill for that matter. I, I, I always thought it was I always thought it was Kickstart My Heart. Yeah. Just for that, that that song that, you know, whenever they played it and, you know, and I was in the audience or on the side of the stage or backstage or whatever. That's the song that got the audience to go completely apeshit. Yeah. You know, crew had a lot of those tunes. Be it uh, looks a kill earlier on, kickstart my heart, wild side, uh, doctor feel good. They had a bunch, but um, doing the show, it's great to hear everybody's different perspectives about all these songs. You know, I thought. Well, that... you know, you know, as I said, I, I always thought that you know that Nikki was was a very underrated songwriter. Home sweet home is one of the great metal ballads, you know, of the eighties. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, don't go away, don't go away, mad is is really essentially a pop song. 
Yeah. You know, if, 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 if you listen to Too Fast for Love and that sort of stuff, you know, it's 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 obviously the early crew days where, uh, you know, where Kiss and, and glam rock and so on was a, a gigantic influence, even punk for that matter. Yeah. And then I think they realized with their, with their management and the record label, like, hey, you know, you're actually a good songwriter. And, you know, if you know, you want to get in the radio, you don't want to just get on a on a metal show. You want to get on, you know, regular hit radio. Yeah. So start writing some hits. And, and that's exactly what he started doing. And I think that's what happened during the theater of pain time. So you had um, Too Fast for Love, which was raw and almost punky. You had mm-hmm. uh, Shadow of the Devil, which was, you know, metal-ish. And then all of a sudden you had theater of pain, which was not, you know, metal-ish anymore. Tommy uh, or uh, uh, Nikki Six was wearing a, a black and white polka dot outfit. And, and Vince Neil sure. was wearing lace gloves. You know, so they were almost like the um, kind of a weird comparison, but almost a, a Bowie-ish, you know, type of artist in in that sense that uh, there's a lot of chameleon-like um, transformation. Right? Oh yeah, very much so. And and even I think when you listen to the music, even even the production, yeah, um, on that album comparatively. I mean, you know, the, certainly Shout of the Devil was a step up from Too Fast for Love. I mean, yeah. because of course, you know, you had the, you had the money and all that sort of stuff to, to do it properly. Yeah. But you know, you. You could really see a progression with the band, and 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 when 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 theater hit, you know, a lot of people didn't like it so much because it was so polished comparatively to Shout of the Devil. You know, I mean, Shout of the Devil was still a metal album. Um, you know, and all of a sudden you're hearing a cover of Smoking in the Boys' Room on their previous two albums. Yeah. So I, I think that threw that threw a lot of the crew purists uh, off kilter a bit and got them pissed. But what it did is it brought in millions of new fans, and especially you know when Home Sweet Home was, was a great. I can't remember the part of that video where that girl's on the guy's shoulders and they lift her top up, <laughs> and you're just about to get to the good part, and they so you remember this. You That's remember right. This. And, and Mick Mars well, Mick uh, Mars points out in the crowd, and they make it look like he's pointing at her. Yeah. You know, yeah. it, has, it, has, it has the funny little intros, you know, where, where Mick Mars says, go away, and, you know, I'll be right there, you know, and Tommy and, you know, all the craziness and so on. I'm um, on you know, my and then way. that's a question yeah. when they, when they, when they made, they made videos like that. So yeah. it was, it was definitely a big departure for the band. Yeah. Um, so I, I think they lived with the fact that some of the purists were going to be pissed off. Yeah. But, you know, I can tell you one thing, they you know, their accountants weren't. Um, so, you know, by the time that girls, girls, girls and feel good and these albums started coming out, I mean, that was that was their formula. I, I think they were never going to go back to um, the old uh, metal style. They were they were much, much too successful doing what they were doing. Yeah, I agree. And I think that that was almost a, a launch pad for six. I think that he was a very visionary guy. He was a big Bowie fan. I know that. And I think that he saw the landscape very well. Uh, I think that he knew what he needed to do to get popular and he used metal to get there. I mean, you know, Shout at the Devil wasn't really heavy metal record um but he made it sound like it was because metal was popular at the time you had quiet riot and rat and all those bands and so you know that's why theater of pain sounded the way that it did because he knew that he had to do that to gain success yes you know nicky's one of those guys that you know it it makes me think of you know some of the guys that have uh, that i found over the years that i that i've interviewed that have been um either the, the, the craziest looking or what you're you're expecting um before you meet them yeah have been some of the brightest Nikki is a very good example. I mean, you know, the guy's covered head to toe. You know, he's got mile high hair. He's, you know, leather and studs and all that yeah. stuff. And a very, very well-spoken, eloquent guy, you know, yeah. all depending what you're talking about. Um, you know, you, know you, you can always bring it to the trenches and talk about all the crazy shit and he'll joke around about that. But, you know, you get into other subjects, you know, either on or off air. Uh, and he possesses a very, very big brain, which is, you know, remarkable with the amount of damage that he's done to it. Um, <laughs> You know, Anthony Kiedis from the Red Hot Chili Peppers is very similar. I mean, yeah. you know, the guy looks like a lunatic. I mean, he looks like Tom Hardy in Taboo, that new show. <laughs> yeah. um, but again, another very, very bright guy. I always found Nikki very interesting because, you know, he knew how to play the game when we do an interview uh, to make it fun and interesting. And at the same time, I think he could catch a lot of people off guard. 
I think that's a. I think I think he's hit it on the head there. I think that Nikki Six knew how to play the game, and that comment, you know, you could expand across his entire kind of career and mindset. He knew how to play the game. Mm, yeah, yeah. Very bright business guy. I mean, no, nothing happened uh, with the crew without Nikki's consent. Yeah. I mean, if, they, if there was a Godfather of that band, it was. It certainly was not Vince Neil. It was Nikki. I mean, he was the head songwriter. You know, he made the business decisions, uh, album design, cover art. You know, he's very much into art and that sort of stuff. And Nikki Six is and was Motley Crue. Yeah, agree. Okay, so next, my man, you have got uh, more than words by Extreme on your list. I always love Extreme. You know, I. And, you know, I should do the legal disclaimer. You know that I'm that I'm quite friendly with these guys. <laughs> you know, I don't want to pretend I don't know them. Um, yeah, we went on uh, we went on tour actually with um, it was Extreme and Aerosmith, and it, yeah. you know I got a little bit of history with the Aerosmith guys as well. And um, so we're, we're doing Castle Donington with, uh, with Aerosmith and Sepultura and Pantera, and and Extreme was very very popular in England. You know, before I came to to New York City, I was in Boston and radio there from '86 to '89, and this is just when Extreme was breaking. You know, they came out with their their first album, and they had there was a song that was a, a mild hit called "Kid Ego." Yeah, yeah. Uh, there was another there was another song on it that I've always really liked called "Play with Me," which is a really kind of fast, flashy guitar song, which I always thought was good fun. Yeah. But you know, porno graffiti was huge, and and obviously one of the main reasons that that porno graffiti was huge was because of more than words, and I think that they really threw a lot of people because here was this very pretty acoustic ballad that anybody could have done. Uh, you know, you would you'd never know it was a hard rock group. That's and then, right. you know, then they said, oh, wow, let's, you know, they're called Extreme. Okay, well, let me go get the album. Uh, you know, yeah. All of a sudden you're like, oh, hold on a second here, folks. <laughs> you know, it, it's, you know, there's some pretty heavy shit on it. Yeah. Um, but I, I remember talking to, to Nuno and Gary, you know, and, and, and hearing more than words before more than words became more than words. And I, I would certainly never take credit for, you know, the song being released. But I remember hearing it and going, guys, I mean, this song is a hit. I mean. You know, whether you know, just put this song on the album, yeah. you know, it's going to be a huge hit. Then you can do whatever the hell you want. Was, you know, now, so I mean, the, the, was, sorry, was, was there any question of, of them not putting it on the record? Oh, I think so, for sure. I mean, wow. I, you know, I think, I don't know, you know, if Pat or Paul, who was the drummer at the time, yeah. were kind of like, hey, man, you know, that's that's not really us. Yeah. Because it, 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 it wasn't them. I mean, you know, Extreme, was, they're all queen nuts. You know, to a certain extent, Van Halen and, 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 and that sort of thing. But some, but they were just a, a really great Boston hard rock band. I would, I wouldn't necessarily necessarily say they were a metal band. No, you know, they never they never dressed metal. Some of the really riffy, heavy stuff, like you know, like a song like Warheads yeah. on Three Sides Every Story. I mean, that's a heavy song. Yeah. But you know, I mean, obviously the, the song was a, a tremendous departure. You yes. know, for for what what they were all about and what the audience associated with. You know, and, but they were still such a young band at that point. It, it it wasn't like a curveball where they were releasing nothing but but super hard rock metal albums and all of a sudden they come out with more than words. Yeah, uh, you know, and then they had, then wholehearted was kind of like a heavier version of more than words. It was yeah. another very catchy acoustic song that did extremely well for the band. And then keep in mind those were the first two singles. You know, the record label heard those songs and and just said, whoa, hold on a second. You know, the, these are these these are our hits. So you know, they started out with more than words. You remember the video with you know Gary there in the black and white. That's right. And then and, uh, and then wholehearted, which was you know done in the streets of Boston and yeah. their hometown of Medford. Yeah. Um, and and then they you know then they I think then the label said okay you know we can release now when you guys want to release I can't remember what the third single might have been off that album but yeah a really bunch of great guys I mean Nuno is obviously uh, you know a, a genius guitar player I mean he's a super super talented guitar yeah. player um, you know Gary's a nice guy I mean 
when, when I think of extreme, you know, when, when we did that tour, we, we started off, you know, we met up with Aerosmith, we fly into England, and we arrive at the place we were staying at was this castle with an actual moat. <laughs> I had never, I had never seen a fucking moat in my life. And I just thought it was the coolest <laughs> thing imaginable. You know, so you got these two bands and their entourage and crew staying at this castle. Yeah. You know, and everybody's kind of, you know, running naked through the hallways. Because, I mean, it was a bonafide castle. It was a really, really cool place. So yeah. we spend the first, we were there, I think, a night or maybe even two to get our bearings. And then we all pile in buses and we go out to Donington Raceway. And, you know, for the for the festival. And I had never been to Donington before. I mean, it was the preeminent metal festival for many, many, many years. And, oh, yeah. and download is to an extent now. Uh, but, you know, everybody that was anybody has played Donington. We, so, yeah, so we, we arrived we arrive there and, and the bands are warming up and everybody's got their own little trailer and Extreme starts playing uh, Train Kepper Rolling. Yeah. And, you know, T Tyler hears it and he comes out of his trailer and he sticks his face up in the window and he starts singing. And it was really, I mean, it was a really wow. cool experience. I mean, I, so Tyler's screaming, Train Kepper Rolling, you know, and the band is blasting full volume in this little tiny room in this trailer. So they, they finished that, and, and, and even the guys in Extreme, and obviously, you know, they knew Stephen very well at this point. You know, he so Stephen walks away and goes back to his trailer, and everybody's like, I mean, was that just the coolest fucking thing? That's so cool. So he says to me, he goes, uh, let's go see what this is all about, because Extreme had not played this before. And, and you're, you're talking about, I don't know, 80,000, 90,000 people anyway, minimum. Right. And yeah. um, it, it was absolutely packed. I think at the time, Sepultura was on stage, you know, who were very, very heavy, heavy metal, Brazilian metal band. Super heavy. Yeah. So Nuno and I walk um, through the backstage area and the buses and all the trucks and all this shit. We walk up the side of the stage. We have all access passes. And we look out, and I will, I will never forget looking at Nuno. I, I think the color drained from his face because <laughs> it was like, I don't you know, it's like the movie Braveheart. You know, and, and, yeah. and the Battle of Falkirk, and when they all run at each other and just smash into <laughs> each other, it was 90,000 yeah. people doing that. And I, he was actually scared. I mean, he was like, holy shit, you know, how are we going to get in front of these people? And I said, you know, I said, you guys are wildly popular here. You got nothing to worry about. But, you know, what they did is they were taking these, they have these like big five-gallon clear plastic drums, and they fill it with beer, and they bring it into the place. Okay. And then after the people drink this beer and get really shit-faced, Everybody like pisses in these things and then throws them in the <laughs> and throws them in the air. So you have these kaleidoscopes of piss going all over. I mean, it's, and there's like bonfires. I mean, it's absolutely crazy. So I mean, that'll just give you some sort of indication of the of the the insanity that was going on. But I said, you know, they're they're, they're a great band. I, I think they're going to be doing some more recording. You know, they 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 still get out there and play. They did a, a reunion tour, which unfortunately I was out yeah. of town when they played here locally. Um, but uh, you know, there's very very nice guys, super super talented musicians. You know, and 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 more than words, you, you hear it all the time. Um, you know, that's the kind of song that will that will keep that band in the money for a very very long time the thing i always liked about that song was that they were right inside that genre of you know what people call hair metal but uh you expected that ballad probably about a minute the way in to have these big crunching guitar power chords <laughs> the way that every other uh hair metal ballad did and i like that they didn't do that you know, Guns N' Roses right. also didn't do that. And, and and I think that that brings a certain integrity to the song. And I think that they really distanced themselves by not doing that. Well, I, you know, I think you know, what you're saying is, and I, I totally agree with you, is, is that they kept the song pure. Yeah. Um, you know, there wasn't like, okay, here comes the, here comes the catchy, you know, over-the-top marching band or, you know, the, the, the kids' choir in the background, uh, yeah. any of that sort of stuff. You know, it, 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 it didn't take off in that way. 
they didn't follow the formula in the same way that, you know, a danger danger did. Well, you can even go back to something like, you know, home sweet home. Yeah. Um, has a very, uh, you know, soft beginning. And then all of a sudden you hear Tommy's drums and then the heavy, you know, the, the heavy aspect of it just kind of remind everybody they're Molly crew. Exactly. Um, you know, and then Cinderella's done it, you know, the, you know, don't know what you got till it's gone. And then all of a sudden it really kind of kicks in with more screaming and heavier guitars and stuff. So no, I absolutely agree with you that it's, it's interesting that the song did, uh, you know, just, you know, that the, the song just stayed the way it was, but you know, it, it, it was great. I think that's what makes that song great. I, I, I don't think the song would be as, as memorable or as big as a hit that it was if all of a sudden they brought that late eighties, early nineties metal formula into it. Exactly. I completely agree. Mm. Um, next song's monkey business. Skid row. <laughs> Sebastian Bach. You probably have a couple of Sebastian Bach stories, huh? Uh, yes, I would say I have uh, more than a few. I was actually just in the I was actually just in the phone with Baz uh, about three days ago, um, oh. and and the conversation started on this article that we both really liked that Henry Rollins wrote for LA Magazine or LA Weekly, I think it is, and okay. um, and and Baz sent it along, and we were talking about how much you know we thought Henry was an interesting guy and and, and a great writer. Yeah, uh, Monkey Business. I mean, you wanted to. We were just speaking a little while ago, you know, about how crew kind of did a 180 from um shout of the devil to theater pain yeah i mean monkey business i think really freaked out the record label because uh you know you, you couldn't ask for three better hard rocky poppy metal songs that you know that the skids first came out with you know yeah. 18 of life uh, youth gone wild and i remember you yeah i mean that that that, that trifecta was was gigantic and I'm sure the label wanted more of the same where, where Sebastian wasn't having any of it uh, or were the band members. They wanted to go in the direction that they wanted to go in. And, they, and, and I think they considered themselves much more of a, a metal band. Yeah. Um, so I, I think when, when, you know, when, when Monkey Business came out, uh, you know, when the whole album slaved to the grind, there's not really any major uh, hits on that album. I mean, that, that that I can think of. I mean, Monkey Business was obviously a, a well-known song and video and all that, but yeah. it certainly didn't have any any of the hooks the previous stuff did. I mean, that, that was just a, a heavy, heavy, even slightly dark album. I mean, yeah, even a song on it called "In a Darkened Room." Well, they um, almost went. Yeah, they, they almost went the other way, right? Instead of doing the commercialization piece, they actually got heavier. It seemed. Oh, very much so. I mean, I, shit. You know, I mean, Slave, you know, compared to the first Skids album is is, is absolutely night and day. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I think the band was pleased as punch with it. It's, I mean, it's a very good metal album. I mean, a lot yeah. of people, you know, consider that album much better than the debut yeah. um, because it's, it's much more pure Skid Row. And I, I think Sebastian, if he was here, would agree with me that that's that's how he wanted Skid Row to sound. Yeah. Whereas, you know, the the label wanted what they first produced you know here you have this terrifically good-looking lead singer who can really sing yeah. and then you got this band that is writing these really good hard rock slash metal songs yeah and generally the label's going to want more of what got them successful in the first place and I, i'm really shocked the band you know were allowed to present that to the label and yeah. say hey this is this is it you know i'm sure the label would have said can you give us a couple of more hits and i and i think they said no but keep in mind that album did hit number one did it really uh, eh? Oh yeah, no, yeah, that that album hit number one in the charts. I remember, um, I remember. It first came out. Yeah, Monkey Business did quite well. I remember the video for that song, and and uh, I think that was the that was the major single from that record, wasn't it? It was the major single, yeah. yeah. And that was, and it's not the kind of tune that you can play a lot on commercial radio. I mean, it's, no. it's certainly got it certainly got some airplay, 
Well, you know, back in the day, you know, kids were doing so much tape trading and, and, and that sort of stuff. People were just buying albums because they really liked the music. Um, yeah. And they were seeing a lot of it. And obviously, you know, MTV had a gigantic influence. And they were playing the shit out of that video. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, so th th I don't think they had as, as much to worry about. But it, there, there's no doubt about it. It was it was completely different from what they were doing. And I said, you know, I think the band was was thrilled with what they were finally being able to present. But the yep. management, the record label, I'm sure couldn't have been too happy. I mean, you know, <laughs> Sebastian, was, Sebastian was a lot of fun because, you know, when, you know, when we were doing uh, when I was doing Metal Shop, you know, he lived in a, at the time, he lives in Los Angeles now, but he lived in this town called Red Bank, New Jersey. And, you know, he would just come by the show and just hang out. You know, he was, he was a featured guest or an interview. He was always a great interview, um, you know, because he's a very energetic guy and quite witty. Yeah. Um, but other other times, you know, he would just hang out and then we would then we would go out, you know, rip the town apart, you know, after metal shop. But, you know, a, a lot of a lot of fun to hang out with, a lot of fun, you know, to be in the road with. You know, he could be temperamental guy, as most, you know, lead singers are. Yeah. Um, but funny, I mean, the best Sebastian Bach story out of many, I mean, the one, the one that comes to mind, yeah. Yeah. Sebastian was very much, very much now, dude, dude, dude. And I said, Hey, <laughs> what's up, Adam? And he's like, dude, I'm having a barbecue this Saturday. You got to come down. Said, yeah. Okay, sure. That sounds, that sounds good. You know, he had quite a nice house down there and his, his then wife was a very pleasant gal and his kids were total firecrackers, really funny kids. And he goes, Halford's coming. No way. I said, Rob's coming. Yeah, and I said, and he goes, yeah, Rob's coming, and he said, you know, he asked about you, and I said, well, let's invite Ian, and I, I had interviewed Halford a number of times on Metal Shop, who's probably the smartest guy I ever interviewed on Metal Shop, we were talking about that earlier in the podcast. Yeah. So Halford is there, and I thought of, you know, I said, is it all right if I bring a guest, and then Sebastian's like, sure, bring a guest. So I thought of my buddies um, that were into priests, and a lot of them were really into priests, and you know, a lot of these guys obviously didn't have this opportunity that I had to meet these guys. You know, sometimes right. I'd bring along, went to a concert or every now and again on tour or something. But I thought of my buddy Nick, uh, who was a huge priest fan, football player guy, you know, all-American football player. So I called yeah. up Nick and I said, hey, man, I'm going down to Bass's place on Saturday for a barbecue. Rob Halford's going to be there. He's like, oh, no fucking way. Oh, my God. I don't know if I can handle it. I can meet Rob Halford. And I said, <laughs> come on. And I said, they're really nice guys. You'll love them. So meanwhile, you know, uh, the, the fact that Rob was gay was the worst kept secret of rock and roll. Yeah. Certainly within, within the industry, I think a very large portion of the population had no idea that he was gay. You know, you would think with somebody producing songs like Ram It Down and Grinder, that yeah. might be a little bit of a hint. Grinder, um, but yeah. no, no, nobody knew, you know. <laughs> and I mean, I, and I don't think and nobody in the industry gave a shit. I certainly didn't. I knew he was gay. And then even when he came out, nobody gave a shit. But anyway, yeah. so we go down to Baz's house and I, you know, ding dong, open up the door. I'm like, dude, I'm like, hey, dude. And I said, this is my buddy <laughs> Nick. And he goes, and then Sebastian's like, hey, Nick, I'm Sebastian. Nice to meet you. And Halford comes up behind him. And Rob's like, Ian, darling, or whatever he used to say. You know, he's a very funny guy. Yeah. I said, hey, Rob, how are you? I said, this is my buddy Nick. And Halford takes, you ever see like Wiley e. Coyote, you know, when yeah. trying to chase the Roadrunner? And he has <laughs> yeah. a, little cloud, a little cloud above his hand. And yeah. it's, it's like the ham kind of thing. <laughs> so he looks at Nick and I went, oh, fuck. Here we go. And he goes, oh, Nick, so very nice to meet you. And Nick's like, hi, how you doing? You know, can I call you Rob? And he's like, yes, come on in. So we go into the house and we're having drinks and, you know, shooting the shit. Everybody's having the time of their life. Yeah. And then, you know, the next thing, you know, like, you know, Rob is saying, you know, oh, Nick, so you're into golf. And then Nick says, yeah, you know, I mean, I love playing golf. And then Nick's like, you know, and Rob's like, well, you know, I live in Phoenix, Arizona. And it's, you know, some of the best golf courses in the world are in Phoenix. And Nick's like, yeah, I've heard that. And he goes, well, and Rob's like, well, you really, you should come out and visit. And then, oh, and then, Nick is like, "Wow, 
okay. And Nick has no, no idea at this point. No, no, no. And, so and I, Nick is a huge to, Priest fan. Oh, this is oh, hilarious. It's, it's gigantic. Yeah, so then I go to the bathroom, and I'm walking out of the bathroom, and Nick is standing outside the bathroom, leaning against the wall, and he looks at me, and he cocks his head, and he goes, can I ask you a question? <laughs> <laughs> I just looked at him, and I said, yes. And, uh, the answer and is yes. And, and, still, and, and Nick being a great guy, he was. He was he's not homophobic whatsoever. Yeah, he of course. Kind of, he he kind of got a giggle out of it, and then we just kind of played along for the rest of the night. But, uh, yeah, that was one of the more entertaining <laughs> stories. And, you know, with, with, with two of my favorite guys to hang out with a metal shop, both, both Sebastian and Robert, two of my favorites to have around. And, and that That's story awesome. of the barbecue was, uh, was pretty funny. That's great. I am a huge, huge Alfred fan. That I, that's a fantastic story, man. <laughs> and he's a smart. He's a smart guy. You know, people ask me a lot, like, who are the smart guys? Yeah. Um, and you know, and and Halford, Ronnie James Dio, Dave Mustaine. I mean, super smart guys. People always have the misconception that you know, metal guys and musicians are are dummies. And trust me, plenty of them are. Yeah. Um, but some some of these guys are, are you know their, their capability of the English language is just unbelievable you know which yeah. makes my job as an interviewer very easy just because of the way that they speak oh absolutely you know, was definitely one of them. yeah for sure that's great uh, good segue into your next tune which is Painkiller by Judas Priest <laughs> well it's funny that we're falling into these departures you know how these bands are kind of moving forward with the times yeah. um, because, you know, right around that point, I'm, I'm trying to, 91 or 92, I think. Painkiller? Yeah, yeah. Painkiller is 91, I think. I think, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, that, that's when the music was starting to get heavier. Because, you know, the, the, you know, Nirvana had just come out, I think, at that point. Like Poison and that sort of stuff were really, you know, people are starting to go, no, that's not cool anymore. Yeah. And I think what Priest was very much a sign of the times where the music was getting a lot heavier. You know, if it wasn't grungy, it was super heavy. You know, Sepultura was coming out at that point, you know, and yeah. bands like that. That's uh, right. But I remember the, the first time I heard Painkiller, I, I can't think of a heavier Priest song. Um, you know, that, that, that's certainly well known. Uh, yeah. Great album cover. I remember the album cover being really, really cool. Yeah, they uh, around that time, I think they, they picked up Scott Travis, right, from Racer X. That's correct, yes. Um, I mean that that whole album is is super heavy. I mean, I mean yeah. that's that's the stuff that Halford likes. I mean, Halford likes the heavy, darker, hardcore stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean that is his deal. And I remember when he came up to Metal Shop, how pleased he was. You know, when he had that album, saying you're going to love the new album. And I, I'm I'm sure I, I think at that point only the record label had heard it. And he put that on, and I cranked it up, and it just, I hit it, and I was like, holy fuck. Yeah, I, mean, I, I had never heard I, I had never heard priests like that before. I mean, there's obviously some pretty heavy priest songs, but that was a whole new realm. Oh yeah, but but that the that album was was huge on Metal Shop. It was very very different. I, I could really sense a shift at that point with hearing music like that of bands that that didn't necessarily produce that kind of music. Yeah, they uh, they had gone through phases, right? So they had. Um... What was that album that had like you say yes on it? Defenders of the Faith. Uh, No, 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 no. Well, that came after. So I I love that album. You talking about Point of Entry? Yes, Point of Entry. So a little love Point of Entry. No, so so did I. So did I. But it was it was it was regarded as a little bit softer, right? And then they 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 countered with Defenders of the Faith and you know Free Will Burning and the Sentinel and like super heavy songs, and then. Uh, Turbo Lover comes out again, so they kind of went the other way with um, it was a little bit more commercial, and there were synthesizers yeah. and the guitars and that sort of thing. And then Ram It Down comes out, 
and then painkiller comes out. So it's almost like, you know, they're trying to find, I, I would love to hear Halford's interpretation of how that whole, you know, kind of path went and, and who said, well, you know, we should go this way. No, nah, I don't I, I want to go this way. Cause I know that Halford loves the, the really heavy stuff. And I wonder oh, if yeah, it was, yeah. you know, if, if it was like KK Downing or Tipton who said, you know, let's try to be a little bit more commercial. I would have a feeling that would probably be KK or, or, or Glenn. I think yeah. they would, would want to do the more commercial thing. Cause I mean, they're, 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 they're old school metalheads. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. But, but you know, when you, when you start thinking of the ram it downs of painkillers of the world, free will burning, it's, 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 it's a good suggestion on your part because that's really what, when it comes to mind for me, that's the first really heavy, heavy priest song that was yeah. well known. That's right. You know, it was, it was like, Whoa, free will burning. You know, I mean, that's heavy, heavy priest. Yeah. Uh, and very different from the heavier priests from before. And you're right, you know, mellower stuff, you know, like poppier stuff like Hot Rock, and I thought was a great song, and obviously heading out of the highway. Um, but yeah, the Free Wheel of Berlins and, and, and the Painkillers of the World, that that's definitely Halford. And, and he would probably go even even heavier, you know, it, you know, if you let him. Yeah. Um, that's his thing. I mean, I, and I think that was, of all things, strange as it may sound, his comfort zone. You know, with with what he was doing, I think you know a lot of these. I don't want to. I don't want to use the word sell. But write me some hits. This is the record label. They're A and R guy, yeah. and then you can do what you want for the rest of the album. I, I yeah. don't think Priest never really answered to that. They kind of did what they wanted to do, uh, whether it be super, you know, a lighter version of Priest or a heavier version of Priest. I mean, some of the stuff was, you know, so I remember some of the '80s videos were a little bit on the cheesy side. That's for sure. Yeah, parental uh, guidance. But, yeah, I mean, but that was the stuff that was selling at the time. Um, exactly. So I, I think that they probably said, well. You know, we don't want to be left in the dust. Yeah, and they're, they're exactly because they were a little bit older. They're they're in essence a seventies band. Oh, very much so. Yeah, so I mean, Priest is, you know, they've been around a long time. I mean, uh, I mean, they were a seventies metal band. You know, Priest was not an eighties metal band. They were right. a seventies metal band. The eighties, the you know the the eighties allowed them into the club because you know they changed their look a little bit. And you know, you got another thing with Common was you know was a was a huge hit for the band. You know, yeah. Um, so you know, as soon as they came out with the, the, the stuff that had a little bit more of a hook to it, you yeah. know, then they just kind of they they kind of took off with that. Yeah. Uh, and then it was after a while that I think they didn't give a shit, and they say, hey, let's go back to really what we are, and 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 kind of bring the sound to the times, which was very very clear production, digitized, heavy, 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 and yeah. that's when you started getting the uh, you know the ram it down painkillers of the world yeah. uh, thing. But if you know you listen back to the older pre stuff. I mean, you might you might as well be listening to fucking Hawkwind. I mean, you know, it's yeah. very seventies <laughs> analog sounding. It's, that's know? right. That's right. Exactly. You, you go it's back to some of those. Metal. Yeah, those really old records: "Sad Wings of Destiny," even oh, yeah, um, "Stand Class," uh, "Rockarola," their first record. I mean, that, that's I mean that is genuine seventies hard yeah. rock. Um, Hellbent for yeah, leather. Yeah, I think it was British. Yeah, Hellbent for leather. You know, British Steel. Um, that, yep. You know, British Steel, I think, is, you know, Living After Midnight, obviously, was their first really huge hit. Yes. Um, and I think that's when people started to see Priest as in slightly more of a of a commercial sense. But, yeah, uh, yeah they, they were more just of a, a 70s kind of groove rock band before that. Yes. You know, and it's yeah. interesting that, you know, they, and they still sell. They're very much like Maiden. You know, they've got a very uh, loyal group of fans. And, yeah. you know, they, they, they can still play big concert halls and sell it. And it's not because they're new single is tearing up the charts you know they just got a, a very very loyal group of fans you know yeah one album we just mentioned he comes to town they go see him oh for sure i would be in that group uh we named about nine priest records there the one that we did not name and probably my favorite album is screaming for vengeance do you like that record i do like that record i mean you know with the whole you know it's what starts out with is, is electric eye is that what it starts out with yeah the hellion into electric eye i think 
Yeah, it starts out with the Hellion, yeah. which is uh, a, yeah, an the, instrument. The, yeah, the, they, I mean, that was, you know, I remember listening to that album, Prince Edward Island, you know, in my, <laughs> I, was, I had my own apartment when I was in high school, and I, I remember listening to that album and being, wow, you know, this album is monster. I mean, I remember, I, I'm looking at the album cover right now you know, in my head, you know, that, that's a, that's a killer Priest album. You it know, is. think about Priest, even when they, even when they, you know, would release some shit, it was still, it was still pretty good shit. You know, you yeah. can find something yeah. that you liked on it. You know, you might not like the single, yeah. uh, but there was always some quality stuff on it. You know, they, I, I don't ever think the band released junk. I mean, there might be some people that aren't fond of the Point of Entry album because it's not heavy enough. I think there's a lot of good songs on that record. Pre, Priest is kind of like, you know, there, there, there's something for everybody, you know, with that band. I mean, because there's so many different incarnations of it, you know? Yep, definitely. So we're going to change gears uh, quite a bit here. We're going to go to Nothing But A Good Time, the next tune on your list by Poison. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh poison oh good lord brett was another guy that i i'd spent a fair amount of time with um, yeah. you know i always call him now the hardest working man in band and show business i'm hoping to see if he's on tour poison's on tour with def leppard and tesla yeah um you know poison was you know just a, a really great pop metal band i mean they you know they they obviously kind of i don't want to say ripped off but you know they were very glammy um i i i bet you there was 30 40 maybe 50 percent of guys that looked at the you know looked at the look of the cat dragged in cover and said wow look at these hot shit <laughs> you know yeah, definitely <laughs> you know I, I mean at least you know brett and ricky you know uh you know cc to an extent maybe not so bobby <laughs> you know, i don't know if anybody looked at the brunette and said oh my god you know I, I liked a lot of poison stuff i still like a lot of poison stuff you know i don't won't necessarily put them on when i go to the gym to work out to yeah but uh you know they're just a, just a really good you know fun poppy band i mean if you if you look at the video for you know nothing but a good time or or just listen to the song you know anybody will tap their foot to it i would think and kind of sing along to it you know they might have to be in a car by themselves so they don't feel embarrassed by it but it was the poisons of the world and warrant i think is another really good example i don't want to get off track but um you know when when the when the when the grunge nuclear bomb that started with nirvana went off yeah. um, those are the bands that that really really suffered Oh, yeah. and, and they were fun. You know, that's, you know, I, I think Poison is the best example of what I miss sometimes about, you know, the 80s and early 90s hard rock and metal. Uh, and, and it doesn't really matter what the band, maybe it was just the kind of the mental state and outlook on life that society had at the time, whether it be the Reagan years or moving on up. Everything was kind of like funner and bigger and louder yeah. and, you know, very kind of glossy and, you know, dare I say, nothing but a good time. That was really the kind of the attitude, and you know when when grunge came in, it, it really did a total 180 on that, where everything was kind of like, oh, you know, everything sucks in life, and I want yeah. to kill my parents, sort of stuff. Whereas you know, going to a Poison show was was really a great time. You always had the best looking chicks backstage at at, at Poison. I used to joke with with Brett because I, I felt so badly for the for the groupies they brought backstage because they had this <laughs> they had this area called the corral. Yeah. And and they would literally they would they would hand out fifty or a hundred passes, yeah. yeah. And then they just kind of go back and just find the hottest one. And say, okay, you, you, you. You know, all these poor chicks in this you know tiny little room, and they're all, um, you know, uh, Brett. Like you know, like a lot of the guys back then, they loved to party, but you know, he's diabetic. Yeah. So it, it was one of the things I was always concerned about. You know, when we drank and that sort of stuff. Um, you know, that he was in a keel over and do a face plant you know um which you know if they don't check their blood sugars properly and that sort of thing yeah. um you know it's, it's a much more easier to do for a diabetic in this day and age with technology 
back then it wasn't you know you actually had to you know really test your blood sugar and it took it was a little bit more of a process uh, but a, a very 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 nice guy personally the, the one thing i've got a very interesting story with, with I'm, i was just thinking of you know i'm going through a ticker tape here i'm sorry if i'm no. I'm rambling, but no, there, there's please. so many there's so many stories with 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 Brett. But one, um, and, I, and the reason why this popped into my head is because I always found Brett to be a very very nice guy. Um, you know, really good with the media and so on. Really great with his fans. Um, you know, always took time out to shake somebody's hand and say, "Hey, you know, thank you." You know, if they had the opportunity to go backstage, because I'd be back there, kind of hanging out. And every now and again, they say, "Well, you know, I got to go meet some radio contest winners or something." I say, "Well, go ahead. You know, I'm back here in the bar. I'm fine." Yep. Other times, you know, I would go just to check things out, and uh, he, he was always very, very attentive. And I remember one time uh, in New Jersey, uh, they were playing this place called the PNC Bank Art Center, and I can't remember, but we were on his bus, and he had his own bus, and we were in the very, very, very back of the bus, the kind of lounge area, uh, you know, like the bedroom kind of area, yeah. and we were sitting around having a drink. And um, the next thing you know, the door opens, and then one of the guys said, "Hey, Brett, you know, somebody wants to be." Young woman comes in. She was really more of a girl, I think. She yeah. looked to be about 16 or 17, oh, probably oh. a junior in high school or something, or a senior in high school, something like yeah. that. But, you know, decked out and, and beautiful. I mean, one of the prettiest girls I think I'd ever seen in my life. She was gorgeous. So she goes, oh, you know, I wanted to meet you. And the guys, you know, said I could, could meet you. And the vet's like, hey, how are you doing? You know, and he wasn't kind of, you know, being a, a, a lech about it. Like, oh, <laughs> shit, check this out. <laughs> Meanwhile, of course, I was thinking that. But not that, <laughs> not that I wanted to do anything. <laughs> Let me just say, I didn't want to do anything. I was, I, I was just looking at it and going, Let the record show. The, yeah, exactly. That's true. I, I, that's right. Then I did 10 years in Sing Sing for that night. No, it's, but I, you couldn't help but look at this young woman and go, this woman's going to be a supermodel. Yeah. So she comes to me with us. You know, we're having drinks. She's chatty. And I've always loved your music. And I've always been in love with you. And then all of a sudden, out of the nowhere, she comes like, and I, I, I'm a virgin. Whoa. And then uh, and we're like, oh, okay, well, there you go. And then she she looks at Brett and she goes, and I want to lose my virginity to you. <laughs> Come on. And I just look at Brett and I'm like, oh, boy, this is going to get really interesting. Who knows? I mean, she could have been 18 years old for all I know. Yeah. But she was obviously on the younger side. Yeah. And, and and Brett, to his credit, I can think of a number of musicians that I know that would not have said this, that would have gone, Ian, get out of here and come back in an hour. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he, he not only said no to her, but um, – he had some very, very nice words, which wow. you, don't, you just don't see a lot on the road. He was kind of really? like, hey, you know, sweetie, you know, sweetie I, I think it's a wonderful thing that you're a fan, and you're, you know, you're obviously you know, a beautiful young woman, but you know, and it, was, it, was, it was almost like a, a big brother kind of thing, or what a parent might have a uh, conversation wow. with a kid. And saying, you know, like, you know, sex and, and, and making love with somebody is a, is a really wonderful thing. But, you know, it's also something that, that you should have feelings for for the person and, and, and to respect yourself. Are you and kidding? I, I can't remember what he said word for word. No, no. And, and, and it was, I was looking at this. And, of course, now I'm lo looking at this, you know, <laughs> with my mouth half of that, that this is of happening. Course. You know, and I'm like. You know, it's like Animal House, you know, where you get the little devil on one shoulder and the little angel on the other. Um, but, you know, he but he's he spoke to her for at least a good 10 minutes kind of on on life and respecting your body. And, and almost, wow. like, you know, it was almost like, hey, you know, if you're a fan of mine, you know, you'll promise me that, you know, you'll wait for the right person, you know, that that you love and you respect and that you have history with. And, and it was really it was very, very touching. I mean, that's the kind of guy that he is. I mean, it's always wow. the kind of guy that I saw. So it, it's weird, you know, you would think with poison, and trust me, I've had plenty of the, the cocaine backstages. I mean, C.C. DeVille was completely out of his mind. I yeah. mean, there's, there's plenty of those stories, I think, with poison. Yeah. Um, but with, with Brett, oddly enough, that's the one story that, that, that comes to mind, you know.
But, you know, a good guy still tours a lot. You know, does, does his own Brett Michaels band. He's, he's constantly on the road. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, Def Leppard and, and Poison teamed up. Wasn't that the show you went to in Toronto? Was that Def Leppard? No, and that was that was or Kiss. No? Def Leppard and Kiss was the oh, one I went to. Oh, that's right. That was Def Leppard and Kiss. Yeah. yeah. So it was the tour before that, I think, was Def yes. Leppard and Poison. And, yes, and it, it sold really, really well. Uh, yeah. People like that double bill. And with Tesla's another great band. Yeah. Um, so that, that I think that, that tour is going to do very well. So I, when I talked to Phil from Def Leppard about it, he's like, yeah, when we were thinking about, you know, who do we go out with again? And we said, well, we had a lot of success with, with Poison, um, so let's let's do that. And and Brett, you know, I, I agreed obviously to get the Poison guys together. That's the only way that he's going to do arenas again, you know. Yeah. I mean, with all due respect, exactly. Brett plays, you know, like a lot of theaters and casinos and that stuff, and does very well for himself. But you know, if you want to get out in front of twenty thousand people again, then you're going to need to hook up with a, a triple bill like that. Exactly. So we have one more song left on your list, my man. It is "Smells Like Teen Spirit" by Nirvana. Oh God! Uh, <laughs> Smells like Teen Spirit was a song that really—I don't want to say it changed my life because well, because it kind of did. You know, when, with Nirvana, there was a couple of things with Nirvana. I was I was doing Metal Shop, and you know everything was going swimmingly. I mean, grunge really hadn't come out yet. Yeah. And the record label guy came up to my show, um, and you know I was live, and it was a guy that I knew at the time, and um, and I, I still know him, but you know not as tight as I used to be with him. But anyway, so he he came up, hey, I want to visit the show. I got this new band I want you to check out. And I said okay, and he hands me this the CD single. So he goes, check this out. So I, I listened to it uh, off air. I was in the radio business; they call it in queue. When you listen to something in queue, you're listening to it off air. So he says, just check it out in queue. So you know I put it in, and I heard that, that guitar lick. And then the drums hit, and that's when I was like, "Whoa!" Yeah. And then that hook, and I said, "This is wild! Holy shit! This is so different. It's so heavy, but it's so good. This is really great." He goes, "Yeah, they're this new band on our label called Nirvana." I said, "Okay." I said, "The name rings a bell, but I said, this is really great." And I said, "Well, fuck it. I'm just going to put it on the air." Yeah. So I, I I programmed the show. You know, I wasn't going off a playlist, so it didn't matter. You know, I just kind of threw on what I wanted to throw on. I usually had a general idea what I was going to play, but I to put on a new song wasn't a big deal. So I went on the air and I said, "Hey, you know, we got this new band out of Seattle, and I turned it off the air, and I think it's really awesome stuff, and I wanted, I wanted, you know, to get your opinion on it. It was like playing my own version of Raider Record or something on, you know, on Metal Shop. <laughs> yeah. And it was the same reaction. Now I've only gotten one reaction in my life to a song where the audience goes absolutely insane, where the phone lines go crazy. We didn't have email back in that point, so it was all phones. So you yeah. you really get a you get a sense if somebody's taking the time to phone in." And you hear the excitement of their voice was uh, was Guns N' Roses and Welcome to the Jungle. Nice. That's the only other time that the first time I played it where people just went, wow. I mean, this is totally something different. I mean, we're not talking about a song that's just a hit song. You know, we're talking about a, a defining generation song. So, you know, I, I played this tune. Now, now, little did I know that I was really signing the death warrant for Metal Shop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Really? You know, at, at the time, because literally overnight, and I wouldn't you know necessarily say you know overnight, overnight. But within a few months, you know, the, the, those hair bands were passe. Nobody yeah. wanted anything to do with them because it wasn't cool to listen to them anymore. I mean, they were still, you know, and, and then they were trying to, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of this song. I think it was called Stand. That was a much more kind of poppier, different sound. It wasn't like, it wasn't like the old Poison at all. Um, you know, so the bands all of a sudden, you know, very quickly tried to readjust themselves to what they were releasing. And so yeah, it was but, Stand you know, the, from Native Tongue, I think. Native yeah. Tongue, yeah, there it is. Yeah. Uh, 
Oh, come on, come on. You're, you're making my memory actually work tonight, Brent. I haven't even heard, <laughs> I haven't even thought of that song in a long time. Anyway, anyway so the, it was really the death warrant for all this music. So, I mean, what it did is it absolutely vaporized, you know, the Lizzie Borden, Pretty Boy Floyd's glammy bands. I mean, oh, they yeah. were dead. They had danger, danger. I mean, they were fucked, gone. Yeah. I mean, see you later. And yeah. then the bands that were on the outer edges still survived. It was that Tesla did, you know, Extreme still did. Guns, um, but uh, yeah, guns, obviously, yeah. But but you know, e- even bands as big as Rat and so on, yeah, were really starting to take a beating because it just wasn't cool to, to listen to them. You know, like I think well, I'm trying to think of the the Rat album at the time. I think it was Dancing Undercover. I think no, that was um, early, early. early. Well, that was uh, that was earlier. Dancing Undercover was yeah, yeah. That was okay. like oh no, I'm thinking of oh okay. What was the one with um? Was it Shame Shame Shame? Is it Reach for the Sky? Shame. Maybe Reach. For yeah, the sky. It might be. Might have been. Might have been Reach for the Sky. Uh, but you know, Rat was still you know relatively popular. You know, in, in '91, the early '90s. You know, they yeah. they were still selling. I mean, they weren't selling you know, uh, you know like the first two albums, but they were still out there. But yeah, yeah. It, it it blew up Metal Shop. The Metal Shop lasted for about another two three years after that point. But yeah, that's that's the song that did it. And then of course, then what you had is everybody else following that, which were very similar. I mean, a lot of these bands are great. You know, Soundgarden, Pearl Jam. Uh, Alice in Chains, Mother Love Bone, uh, you know, you had a lot of these really great bands coming out, Pearl Jam and Nirvana, I think, especially, and, and Soundgarden to an extent. Yeah. Um, we were really great, but I mean, that, that the Seattle sound was everything, and the grunge sound was. And then you started getting a lot of your second-tier kind of grungy bands, like Candlebox and, and yeah. stuff like that. So yeah. it, it was almost like, you know, when heavy metal came out, there was a lot of these really killer metal bands that were doing very well. And then all these assholes, A&R guys, started signing anyone and everybody. And I think very much the same happened with the Seattle sound or grunge. Yeah. You had your heavyweights that were really good, but then it started to get watered down, and then people started to get pissed off about that. Yeah. I'm like, oh, God, you know, there's too much of this. I mean, these guys stink, blah, 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 blah. And then, of course, you know, Cobain ends up killing himself, and which, you know, really kind of turned everything face down. Yeah. Um, when I met Cobain... Um, you know, since I was the first guy to play it in New York, I'm not like saying, woohoo, you know, just uh, it was blind luck that yeah. the record label guy came by and said, here, check this out. It could have been the fucking Archies for all I knew. So I was just <laughs> lucky enough to play it, you know. So I get, I, you know, I got the credit for, you know, breaking Nirvana in New York, you know, and everybody wants to play in New York. So they were playing Saturday Night Live. It was their first appearance on Saturday Night Live. Okay. And they said, we'll go during, we'll go during sound check. So I walked up um, to the studios of Rockefeller Center, and uh, I go in there. There's, there's literally hardly anybody in the studio. There's the band, I think yep. the sound engineer, the record, the record label guy. So I thought, that, well, this is cool. And I said, well, this is obviously Nirvana. I recognize the guy with the blonde hair that sings, and there's the wacky drummer with the long hair, and there's the goofy-looking bass player. And I walk up, and, <laughs> and they're like, hey, guys, you know, this is, uh, this is uh, Ian O'Malley. He's the, the host of Metal Shop. And uh, hey, you know, so the first person I met with was Chris. It was just kind of this kind of big, dopey, goofy guy who was very pleasant. You know, nice. Hey, uh, hey, thanks a lot, man. I'm like, oh, thank you. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. You guys must be excited about playing in SNL, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And then uh, the next person comes over is Dave Grohl. So Dave was just like the Dave you know now. Super funny. I mean, I don't know what it is with drummers being puppies. We were talking about Tommy Lee earlier. But, yeah. Um, you know, just very, very energetic. And hey, man, what's up? You know, thanks a lot. <laughs> you know, he was really great. You know, then I turn and I look at Cobain. I, I mean, you want to talk about all of a sudden somebody just, you know, doing, you know, you know the movie Carrie when the lights go off and everything goes black <laughs> and, the, and the fucking ominous music and the blood starts coming down, you know. So one second I'm in the movie The Sound of Music and yeah. the next second I'm in Carrie, right? So I turn and I look at fucking Cobain and he looks at me and he's got this ratty cardigan sweater on, yeah. his hair is kind of greasy, 
so he puts his hand out. I put my hand out and I said, Hey, oh, hey, Kurt, you know, very, very nice to meet you. He's like, Hey, man, you know, thanks a lot. You know, I appreciate you know you playing the song. <laughs> and w- what I didn't know, he was a, he was already in the throes of heroin addiction at that point. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think he was, you know, I don't think he was getting off the dope or whatever. But I'll, I'll, his hands are very cold and clammy. It felt Ugh. like a corpse. Oh uh, God! And I, remember, I remember looking at him, and he was just kind of gray. I mean, you know what he was? <laughs> he was like the color of oatmeal. Oh. Uh, and I, I remember being quite impressed with the Nirvana album, and I realized they had a lot of talent. I remember yeah. leaving the place, and, 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 and the thing that I felt more than anything, when I thought of Chris and I thought of Dave, I said, well, these are really good guys. But I, I immediately thought of Cobain, and I, and I felt sympathy. Yeah. I said, you know, there is a very, very troubled human being right there. I mean, something was not right. It was, it was very, very depressing for me. It was, you know, it's the one and only time I met him. I'd seen them two or three times after that, but it was the one and only time that I met him. Uh, and it was, it was just a shame instead of, you know, meeting somebody that was coherent, you know, seeing somebody in that state. And when, you know, when I found out that he killed himself, I can't say I was terribly surprised. I wasn't terribly, terribly surprised that he died. I thought I would have been OD or something. I mean, I was a little bit surprised when I found out that he, you know, poor fellow blew his brains out with a shotgun. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't, I, I wasn't surprised because he was obviously a very, very damaged individual, extremely talented, but, 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 but damaged for sure. Yeah. Wow. You know, and the rest of, and the rest of they say is history, I guess, you know, with, with that song, you know, obviously the second album did very well for itself. And I played that on metal shot, but at that point, you know, there were the, the, the things had changed, um, you know, drastically so much over the landscape that, uh, there was only so much I could do to change the show. To, oh yeah. You know, to adhere to people's tastes at the moment. Um, yeah. and, you know, and, and it turns out a lot of the stuff that I ended up playing, I was like, nah, I'm not such a huge fan of this, but you know, the, uh, the audience was so. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember when that went down and, and, you know, I didn't find it until later bands like Alice in Chains, um, before they were, were Alice in Chains where their name was the diamond lie or something like that. And they were a glam band, but you know, they oh, saw sure. this, yeah. they, they saw this sea change coming and they, and they uh, they jumped on the bandwagon. I don't know if that's the right way well, of know, saying it, but no. But but you know they, they that's you know that's definitely a way of putting it. You know and 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 yeah, if you look at you know earlier pictures of Lane Staley, speaking of you know somebody else, the poor fella that had terrible drug problems. Um, yeah. You know when I interviewed him on Metal Shop, you know he was he was barely coherent. And that was another time I was like, oh great, another fucking junkie from Seattle. Jesus. Yeah. You know, can we go back to 1987 when we have the guys, you know, <laughs> snorting coke off a stripper's ass in the studio and everybody's having fun? Exactly. Um, you, know, you know, but another band that did that was very similar. Um, if you look at the earlier stuff of Pantera, yeah, they, yeah, got yeah. High, they got the high hair and all that stuff. That's right. See, they did. You know, you know, and goddamn Phil Anselmo looks like one of the lead guys in that miniseries Oz. You know, exactly. I mean, he, looks, he looks like a lunatic. Uh, yeah. You know, and, and, the, and the music changed very much so as well i mean you know they they but but they were quite a glammy band i mean they were in the territory of your danger dangers of the world but no. they were certainly they were glammier, close. glammier hard rock um you know and then all of a sudden they did a complete 180 and they stuck with their sound uh, there's no doubt about that yeah uh, but you know allison chains did the same thing so some bands adjusted it and and some didn't you know and, and the ones that didn't died yeah um, and, and, and it was survival of the fittest really right it was natural selection i think a lot of those like alice and shane saw that coming and and they adapted as you say you could have, you know look at somebody like bon jovi i mean bon jovi's playing selling out two nights at madison square garden in april yeah and they, they they played arenas forever they they never went through the era you know where they played turning stone casino that's true in mississauga 
That's true. You know what I mean? Yeah. They never, they never went through that. I, yeah. I don't even remember seeing them in a theater. I mean, you know, they, and they were still huge in Europe. Uh, and somehow they, they made it through pretty much unscathed. I mean, Leopard did in a sense, but they still weren't getting the kind of airplay that Bon Jovi was getting throughout the years. But, you know, but they yeah. still, you know, did arenas and that sort of thing. But full on hair metal, but great poppy, you know, Slippery Run Wet, of course, is a great album for that genre. Yep. But walked through that minefield and didn't get touched. They didn't, you know, or John Bon Jovi didn't anyway. You know, yeah. whether it was, you know, being in the movies or whatever else that he did. But, you know, they're, they're a, a real uh, scientific case on, you know, how this band survived, you know, you know and that, how they got through it. That, that's an excellent point. I can't name another band, and I'm thinking, that actually was that kind of far out there in terms of, you know, again, it's not hair metal, but that's what people call it, um, mm. and surviving and not being cut down by, by the uh, the grunge era. And actually... Oh, sure. Right? Yeah. I can't there's, think of another band. There, there, there's no other band. I mean, you know, even, you know, Leopard went through it, you know, with, with their albums trying to change their sound a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, there's no doubt about it. You know, they tried to, to make adjustments. I mean, they weren't doing anything near as, you know, crazy as the Panteras and Alice in Chains or even Priest, to that matter, with the, with the change in their sound. Yeah. But, you know, they, they, they definitely adjusted. But, yeah, Bon Jovi, I think, is the prime example. I, I, don't, I can't think of any other band off the top of my head that was that big in the mid-'80s and, and then just skated. And still to this day, I mean, Leopard will always sell. But yeah. they, won't do two night, they won't do two nights at Madison Square Garden. Uh, nope. But, you know, they'll, they'll sell out all their dates uh, during their summer tours, you know, your outdoor amphitheaters and so on, because yeah. people like them, you know, they know what they're going to hear and it's, you know, brings it back to their youth and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, Bon Jovi's very much the same way. He might play a song or two from his new album, but he knows where his bread's buttered. Oh, for um, sure. You know, and, and he's a great live concert. Bon Jovi, I don't know if you've seen Bon Jovi or not. But, I have, yeah. Uh, yeah, even in this day and age, I mean, the guy puts on a great live show, Yeah, you know, and he's a brilliant businessman he's one of the smartest business guys in rock and roll yeah yeah and good for them you know there's few if any others that can say that they that they skated uh, as smoothly as bon jovi did you know for the past 30 some odd years it's pretty completely. remarkable when you it, think about it completely agree like him or not you have to respect that yeah like him or not you gotta respect it i mean yeah. that is you know that's the, that's the saying if there is ever a saying when it comes to bon jovi that's the same. Like or not, gotta respect it. That's true. That's true. <laughs> you, know, you know, the guy played Russian roulette and survived 400 rounds of it. You know, like it or not, gotta respect it. Uh, you know, and that's that's kind of the way it is, man. You that's know, right. So, so good for him. Yeah. Well, hey, you know, if, if if you come down and visit, you know, in April or whatever, you know, we'll get tickets. We'll go see him. Yeah. Um, you know, he's he's really fun to this day and age. You know, I mean, every you know, it's Richie Sambora's gone. Uh, Tico, I think, is still in the band, and Dave is still in the band. Um, yeah. The, the original bass player is gone um, but you know it's they're still out there as Bon Jovi and they're still selling yeah you know, like hotcakes yeah pretty amazing yeah I'd go and see him again for sure yeah, interesting stuff well listen man this has been a great chat these uh, thank you so much for sharing these stories they provide a whole new level of insight you know we, we talked about the crew we talked about Sebastian Bach we talked about Kurt Cobain and the level of, of, of insight that you provided here with these stories these personal stories has, has just been fantastic so I thank you for that well thank you I mean I, I think one of the things I was most concerned about with your, with your listening audience um, and I, I think probably what makes it a little bit easier is that we obviously have a, a personal friendship yeah. you know was the name dropping part of it you know because it's not a blowhard you know that goes I remember the first time that I was hanging out with so and so we were in a limo <laughs> and I mean, I just, you know what I mean so yeah. I'm hoping that your your listening audience realizes no. that I'm, 
I, I speak freely of this stuff just because I experienced it. And and to me, it's more kind of like, well, this is an interesting experience because we've all been around the person that that name drops terribly. Yeah. Uh, and I just uh, I wouldn't want I wouldn't want anybody to misconstrue that what I'm doing. It's just kind of like, well, I did this and I did that. And obviously, as you know, as as you might know or guess, you know, I've got about. 200 other stories that's I mean, right with, I mean, <laughs> outside of metal i mean you know or keith richards or tom petty or sting or eddie van halen or jesus bon jovi um yeah. you know there's 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 quite a few little tales from the crypt so if uh if your audience does enjoy this and they want to do it a, a, a session two or whatever i'd be happy to have a great fun tonight you will definitely be a recurring guest i appreciate that okay well thank All you right. Thank you. Thanks for the chat. And uh, yeah, I'm going to take you up on that. Um, I'll, uh, I'll be down there soon to see you. All right. Yes, I would like that. I would like that very much. My uh, my wife sends her love. Uh, I, I know that you, uh, to the uh, folks that are listening, wherever you may be worldwide, it was uh, really nice to have your company and I hope you enjoyed it. And, uh, and let's do it again. Thank you, sir. Have a good night. This has been No Sleep Till Subbury with Brent Jensen and my special guest, Ian O'Malley. Till next time, take good care. Brent Jensen is the best-selling author of No Sleep Till Sunday, Leftover People, and All My Favorite People Are Broken. All titles available in stores and on Amazon worldwide. <laughs>